0: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Unbalanced Note podcast, talking about everything composers, filmmaking, and music. Oh, my gourd. I'm Brian Kluger. It's a wonderful February day, and I'm joined by the host with the most, the man who I like to make music with and do podcasts with every part of the day, Mark Chaffardini. How are
1: you? Brian, I am so good. Thank you for asking. I love getting on these shows with you. I love recording everything we do with each other, with each other, to each other, with each other. Good to see you. Good to see you. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I'm excited too. We have a
0: very fantastic, remarkable episode today. We have a great guest on the show, an amazing, legendary, intercontinental champion of music, the drums, rock music, scoring, composing... Alec Puro! Welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, how you doing? That's a, that's a quite an intro. Thank you.
0: Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. We're just so happy to be talking with you. We're going to be talking about the crew. We're going to be talking about Black Summer. Uh, we're going to be talking about Deadsy. But first, like the sound of music, we have to start at the very beginning. Alec, <laughs> Where did it all start for you in music? Did it something you heard on a radio when you were growing up? Where did it all begin for you in music?
2: You know, I I started playing piano when I was about uh, six, seven years old, because I think I was forced, probably, (laughs) by my mom and dad. Um, But I started playing piano, which I really liked a lot. And, you know, I did that for a few years. But, you know, as a kid, you kind of, you know, you're trying to find your way. So you, you know, you try different instruments. I tried guitar a little bit. And then when I was about 12, I started playing the drums, which I I don't know, something caught me with that. And I was just all in, you know, I was a super like energetic kid and the drums totally chilled me out. Um, And from there, you know, through my teens, it was all about being in bands doing session work. Just, you know, I wanted the rock and roll fantasy at that point. I hadn't really, you know, I'd always been into, you know, film and TV music, but I I hadn't yet kind of seen the light of like how I was going to get there. And, you know, I was in the moment with, you know, the drums and I wanted to learn everything I possibly could about them. That's great. Um, Yeah.
0: That's kind of the, yeah. Yeah. Getting into the drums and you you said you wanted to get into the rock bands and in your teens, was it more about the music or is it more about the women and like getting the record? No,
2: I mean, in the beginning, it was just more about the music. I actually wasn't super into, you know, obviously like Van Halen kind of oh, yeah. kicked it off big time for me. And, you know, you sit in your room with your headphones on and you jam with, you know, Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and the police and Halen. And, you know, I got super into it to where I was starting to listen to like, you know, return to forever and all this progressive rock and like, you know, really getting technical with learning the drums. Cause I was so just fascinated by it. And it actually started, you know, I slowly started to kind of find my way like piano found its way in there as well. And, you know, they're both very rhythmic. Um, But yeah, the drums, it it was more about playing, you know, the whole rock band thing. Yeah. Of course. Like the thought of like, you know, touring the world and, you know, selling records and making music was, you know, that's as a kid, that's the kind of fantasy, I guess. Um, And basically from there, you know, I, th- this buddy of mine who we were in seventh grade together, we had started a band, my buddy, Elijah blue, uh, who's a singer at Dead Z. and, you know, I was in tons of bands along the way. And I started doing session work when I was like 16, 17, you know, playing drums on television commercials. And then from there, I started to get the chance to write, you know, some commercials, you know, co-write assist. And the big turning point for me was, um, a family friend was a EP on this show called Chicago Hope back in the day and he was like hey you know in the operating room when we're filming the doctors are always listening to music so if you want to write a couple songs I'll you know throw them in the mix and see if you know we can license them and i was like that's interesting <laughs> you know well, yeah, sure uh and so i got together with a friend of mine uh this amazing singer her name's Anara George she's in a band called the Bird and the Bee and she just has the most amazing voice and, you know, play guitar. And so we got together and we wrote a couple songs and they ended up getting licensed in this show. And I think I was like 18 and the money back then for a license, I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Like, wow. I got to like explore this more. Um, so kind of in tandem at that point, you know, the band made its first record on uh, DreamWorks and we started to tour. Actually, I just skipped over a huge chunk, which was I went to college for two years for <laughs> for music. Uh, it was a blur. Calif- we all yeah. know. It. <laughs> it's, it, honestly, it's like I don't have any more room in my head for information at this point. <laughs> um, but no, I went to California Institute of the Arts uh, in Valencia and studied you know, I, I started after kind of realizing, wow, film music is so fucking cool. Um, I was able to, you know, study composition theory, orchestration, as well as like jazz drums. And I went for a couple of years, but then the band thing really kicked up and I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm in my twenties like this, you know, I, I want to go for the ride on this. And, uh, you know band started touring you know first record sold a few hundred thousand records and got to have that you know full-on fantasy you know playing madison square garden opening for you know stone temple pilots corn lincoln park all it, it was it was everything minus the actual uh success of you know the monetary success which you know in your 20s you don't really care but uh yeah so composing on the bus as this is going on and you know the composing thing just slowly started to kind of outweigh wanting to be in a band you know towards the end of my 20s and there you go it's kind of a long-winded story no it's a uh,
0: great story though and I want to I want to go back to when you first started playing instruments do you remember the first song you learned
2: Yes, I, <laughs> uh, I believe the first song that I learned, like me and my buddy, who was actually the singer in Deadsy, in seventh, seventh grade, we, we were in this talent show and we played uh, You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC, yes. and uh, what is that, and some Cinderella song, <laughs> I <don't know laughs> what it's called, no, uh, I forget the name of the song, but yeah, so Nobody's Fool nobody's full and so you did the, yeah. the, there has to be tape of this somewhere right it it exists somewhere actually i think i think he may actually have
0: it. <laughs> oh my goodness oh that's that's so good that's much cooler than my i was because i played clarinet and my first song i learned on the clarinet nice. was pink panther however the first song that's i learned cool. on the drums was uh danger zone by kenny <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs>
0: That but it's awesome. just, but I wish it was C D C. That's great. <laughs> so it's, I
2: think those are like the easiest. <laughs>
0: yeah, they're the easiest yeah. for sure. For sure. So you did all this, you went to school for this. You had this friend in Elijah who, correct me if I'm wrong, is the son of Cher and Greg Allman, right? Yeah. Yeah. So with, with being friends with him so young, did, did you get any great advice from his parents or your parents on, I guess it was pretty supportive in doing the music biz.
2: Yeah, I mean my my family I definitely, you know, I was lucky. I grew up in Santa Monica, California and you know, went to a, a really cool progressive school and so I was exposed to kind of a lot of you know, you, you make friends at that age to just make friends, you, you don't, you don't think about who's, you know, who's that person's parent or whatever. And, you know, there were a couple friends of mine, and it turned out, you know, their parents were really like cool and influential in that way, Elijah, of course, being one of them, but when me and Elijah started playing God, I, I, again i think this is like seventh grade like rehearsing for the talent show or something he was like my dad's in town and i was like your dad who's your dad like i i'd never met his dad at this point i mean we'd only been friends for like a year or two and you know i knew he, he was like yeah he's in this band called the almond brothers and i had never even heard of the almond brothers at that point you know and uh we're upstairs in my little attic in my bedroom uh above the house and uh my mom's like, Hey, Elijah's dad's here. And, you know, we went outside and I could see like my mom and the neighbors, everybody was like, what the, you know, Greg Almond just like rolling into our house. <laughs> he comes upstairs and, you know, into my little room and like jams with us and watches us jam. And it was just really nice, but I had literally no clue how like legendary he really was until later on, you know, in my teens, when I started to get really into like, you know uh more progressive type jammy music or whatever and kind of being around them more it was just like wow this is these guys are legends you know i had no idea <laughs> that's that's
0: super cool i love that um yeah. And, you know, before we get into some of the composing stuff, I want to talk about a little bit about Dead Z, because yeah, yeah. I'm a fan of Dead Z. And I, I mean, I really awesome. like the, the Phantasmagore album, which is really cool. Oh, cool. And because I love because you do a painted black cover, right? Yeah. yeah totally. How did that come about? Because, I mean, it's kind of fitting for the type of band, the type of music you play, which is, I think, you know, kind of metal, you know, rock with a little bit of synth and a little bit of goblin spookiness to yeah. it. Cause I like the spookiness. So yeah. I talk about that.
2: So you, when we first started, we, we, we did a lot of covers like demos back in the day. Like when we, we got signed to Sire Records by Seymour Stein, who, you know, signed like Depeche Mode and Madonna and the Cure, like, you know, big record guy in 19, I think it was 1995. And we made a demo and, two out of the four songs were covers. We did a cover of uh, uh, Texas Never Whispers by Pavement and a Cure cover. Um, Oh my God, I'm totally spaced the name. But basically, so we had always done covers and you know, they, they were really cool when you take those like heavy, like low end guitars and like the early eighties, like Brian, Eno Roxy music synth stuff and apply it to different things. It just kind of worked. So yeah, Elijah was really obsessed with, uh, with the stones at that point. um, And like, you know, super into like Harry Krishna stuff. So the sitar and like, you know, I I like that song a lot. I mean, I, I like some of our covers that are a little more obscure even though i i don't know I, I i like that one i liked on the first record we did a cover of uh, tom sawyer um which came out really cool too because it was super heavy and it just fit the instrumentation of the band
0: very but, cool uh, very cool
2: yeah so so uh growing up playing music
1: uh I, i'm guessing that the parents were supporting it in some degree can you give maybe the top three most um eye-rolling or irking instruments that uh, parents would hate to have their children play. I I keep thinking of um, Love Actually, you know, when young Sam starts to play drums to impress the girl at his school, and Liam Neeson just walks by his door down the hall. Bang, 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 just like tempting. So where do drums fit in, like, the uh, the piss-off-the-parents temperature?
2: I mean, now that I am a parent, as much as I would want my kid to play drums, I I can't believe how understanding and awesome my mom was for letting me play drums. Cause I mean, I would play drums for hours and hours. Uh, and at a certain point after like a year or so, she gave me the garage and our neighbor as well was like, I, I got to help you soundproof this thing. Cause <laughs> I think I was disturbing everybody, but uh, I would say drums is definitely up there cause there's no real volume level on that. Or I don't know, maybe like the recorder, even though, even though with all this homeschooling and stuff, my daughter, she's in third grade. And the other day I was like, cause I've been working from home half the week or so. Um, I hear this recorder going and it's just so like, you know, all over the place, but I kind of liked it actually, <laughs> to be honest. So I don't know. I would say drums is first for sure. Okay.
1: Okay. Well, um, when it comes to being a parent yourself, uh, are there are there musical things that you and your dad bonded over that now you are seeing maybe you and your your kids are having some relationship to, whether it was, say, the Beatles or Michael Jackson or you know, whoever is on the radio these days?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, my parents weren't musicians, um, but my dad and mom both listened to music a lot. And I know that, like, you know, I'd listen, you know, my dad would always listen to like Steely Dan or Billy Joel or... Cat Stevens or that kind of stuff, which has, you know, big influence on me. Um, I definitely try to play music throughout the house as much as possible because, you know, a, a lot of times they want to listen to like kids bop or, you know, something that I'm like, this is not, you know, this isn't going to help you in any way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when they're in my car, I definitely try to influence them by just showing them, you know, where... Where the music they're liking came from, you know, because I don't know what the future is going to be, but I can't imagine there's going to be this like just the kind of musicians and musicianship and songwriters that you know have been around forever. The the, you know the people we call legends and the people we look to for inspiration. I don't. I mean, I guess here and there that that is going to obviously continue to happen, but. I don't know. I just want to set them on the right path. So when they're like, Oh my God, I love this song. And I'm like, you know where that song came from, right? These people were obviously listening to, you know, Led Zeppelin or the Beatles or so. Mm-hmm. Is, is there anybody that you listen to
1: now who is, who is kind of like you're saying, picking up on things that, uh, you know, that were very influential when you were a kid. One of the bands that I kind of listened to is Krungbin, which is um, a three person outfit who does, um they do like Thai rock. They're actually out of Houston. Oh wow! And so it's it's a three person a- outfit, and they they do some gospel stuff. One of their their drummers does uh, church music, but it's this really wild Thai fusion, you know, guitar stuff. It's really really awesome, but obviously it's come from the '70s in in Thailand. So
2: yeah. Anyway, oh, wow, that's that's interesting.
1: But more to that point, are are the things that you listen to now, and you go, you know, I, I heard uh, I heard the Zombies do that in the '60s, or you know something?
2: Sure. I mean, I think, I mean, all music is derived from other music, I feel like. Um, And yeah, I mean, I'll I'll hear things that they're listening to and really try to make a point to kind of say, hey, uh, you know, this is where this came from. Or for me, you know, I still discover things you know, from from composing, a lot of times there could be something in a temp, or somebody could, you know, certain directors or producers will make mention of something that maybe I'm not hip to, and so I, you know, I love discovering, you know, new stuff that's obviously maybe not new, but sometimes it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, if that sort of answers your question,
1: oh, a little bit, it works. <laughs> the <bit>. uh, judge's <laughs> ruling, allow it.
2: Good, good enough
1: <laughs> so when when you get on board uh, i mean it's, if it 's time to jump into the scoring world what do what do you tend to do when you when a project comes your way or somebody wants a certain style out of you is there um, an entry point uh, is there a request for qualifications? How do you get started on any project
2: uh, as far as like actually getting the gig or once you have it
1: uh, let 's do both because I think one of the things that okay. we don 't really um, talk to musicians about is sometimes you have to do a demo or a sketch or something to kind of like prove that you understand the material and help you, you know, get your foot in the door. Maybe, maybe do both. Yeah.
2: Yeah. If you want to even go further back than that, because I think a lot of composers, you know, there's so many facets to composing or, or, or making music for a living. And I think obviously first and foremost, you, you have to have the skill of, making music or composing the picture or figuring out what your thing is. Cause a lot of people are, you know, I can, I can do anything. I can write any style, but like everybody has a special thing. And like ego aside is really good at certain things and other things not as good, but uh, you know, an- that all has to be intact first and foremost, but then it's like, okay, how do I get gigs, which is not, easy you know obviously a lot of jobs or opportunities in life come from you know people you have relationships with you know new people you've met that you're making relationships with but you know a lot of my time is definitely spent reaching out to people connecting the dots you know having friends introduce me to friends of friends of friends you know fostering those relationships, keeping in touch with those people, even when they maybe don't reach back out to you. I mean, I've, I've gotten opportunities or different projects from people that literally, you know, maybe we've talked a few times and then I've emailed them for several years, you know, every quarter or two, maybe with no response. And then out of the blue, Oh my God, I'm so glad you emailed me. I actually have this project I'd love to talk to you about. So there's that beginning phase of like, you have to, you kind of have to like really hustle your network because, you know, as amazing as it would be to be like a John Williams, James Newton, Howard, Thomas Newman, where people are coming to you. It's like, at a certain point, they, they weren't those guys in the beginning and they had to hustle and they had to make those relationships and they had to meet those Steven Spielbergs and those people that, you know, were going to work alongside them. So To me, that's a massive part of this whole thing is putting as much out there as you can because, you know, only some uh, you're lucky if any of it comes back. You know what I mean? So once there's an opportunity, um, let's say a friend of yours is a director directing a movie. There's a lot of other producers on that. Everybody's got a friend that makes music. Everybody, you know. So unless you've worked with that person a lot of times and it's just like you are their guy and that's one of the things they're going to fight for even if they have to, you're going to have to put together a lot of times. They'll be like, hey, you read the script and maybe put together some music, you know, existing music like a composer reel based on what you think would be cool for this. Put together a reel, hopefully, you know, all the people creatively involved will listen to that, you know, hopefully they like it and kind of continue the conversation. Sometimes you can get a gig off that if you have enough credits or you've done enough stuff or a lot of times, you know, once they get into the edit, you know, they'll kind of send you a couple of scenes and, you know, talk it through creatively and maybe you demo for that. You kind of have to be open to doing whatever it takes. If it's, if this is what you want to do, you know what I mean? And uh, a lot of times you don't, you you go through a lot and you write a lot of music on spec and you don't get something. But you know, the great thing about music is you just wrote all that music. That's yours. You own that. You can do whatever you want with it for anything else. Um, But then sometimes you do get the gig and that's the beginning of, you know, the actual working on it, which, should I keep going?
1: <laughs> no, no, that, that's yeah. great. Actually, I'm, I'm actually quite fond, uh, glad to hear you say that because I'm in a creative industry myself. I work for a hotel, uh, an architecture firm. And a lot of times, not very many times, but sometimes we will have to do almost the design of an entire hotel just to prove that we have the qualifications to do the work. Yeah. And I mean, we could spend a month, you know, and sometimes they'll give us some money up front to do it in front of the, sure. the manpower. But sometimes it just, It disappears if uh, they don't think they don't like it.
2: Anyway, it's it's fascinating stuff. I mean, it's part of the it's part of the drill. And no matter how much you want something, if you don't get it, you know, you have to kind of. Music is so subjective. You you got to take your ego out of it and not take anything personally, and just kind of flow through and and never you know from that be like, well, you know, screw these guys. They don't because you never know. Maybe on the next one, it's like you, you've proven to them that y- you obviously can do what needs to be done. And maybe you're just not right for this one. Maybe they just need something different. You just never know. Sure. And, and, and more to that point, like you just use the term prove
1: yourself. So how did you get the crew? How did you get Black Summer? Did you, you know, was it a, a rolling out the red carpet for you or did you really have to
2: fight your way in wish? <laughs> oh yeah. Everything is, uh, here and there, you know, things drop in your lap, but you know, the crew, for example, um, the, the creator showrunner, uh, Jeff Lowell, he, I worked with him God and like, I could be off with the year, but like 2000, you know, 11 say, so, Several years ago, we we worked on uh, an ABC show called Manhattan Love Story. It was like a half hour uh, single cam comedy. And basically like with that job, you know, pilot season is once a year and they make all these pilots, all the different like, you know, networks and literally they fire composers like one after the next on these shows sometimes. And this was a show where they had gone through one or two guys and I got a call from my agent. Hey, there's this pilot. They literally, you know, they, they need you, you know, you're in the mix. They liked your reel and they were like, you gotta, can you score four scenes? Sure. By tomorrow. And it's like four in the afternoon. It's like that kind of thing. So you just go for it. And like with this one, I went for it. He loved what I did, got hired the next day, and then literally had, you know, maybe like six days to score the pilot, which is, you know, it's a lot of music. It's, you know, upwards of 20 minutes of music or something. Um, and that show got picked up. We worked on it for one season, and then it uh, it didn't get renewed. Um, but I had a great working experience with Jeff. And so I kept in touch with Jeff. And, you know, he went, you know, kind of bounced around a little bit on other shows. And, you know, when an opportunity arose, he always did kind of reach out to be like, Hey, you know, you, let me get you in the mix for this. And it never quite clicked on uh, some of the other things he was working on. Cause I don't believe he was like the, the main guy, excuse me. Um, and years went by. And I mean, here's an example of, you know, such a great guy, but I would email him, you know, a couple of times a year just to check in. And I mean, it, crickets, and then literally out of the blue, I think I might've hit him up a couple months earlier, uh, about a year ago, he wrote me. He's like, hey, I got a new show. Are you interested to maybe like get in the mix? And I was like, yes, a hundred percent. And, you know, it wasn't even him, you know, it wasn't clear at that point, even, you know, who else was in the mix or whatever. But I was like, whatever I got to do, you just tell me what, you know. And we started working on a theme song and, another theme song and like different directions and I got to get Kevin James on board, make sure he signs off on you. And finally, like, after like doing all this legwork on, you know, writing some different themes, he was like, you're the, you're the guy, let's do this. And, you know, so nothing is really handed. You got to kind of, you know, do the work, but, you know, it's funny that, uh, you know, Jeff is just a really loyal, awesome dude. And, uh, I feel like he knows that if he calls me on a Saturday night at, you know, 1130 PM, I'm going to pick up the call and be like, tell me what you need. Like uh, I'm on it. You kind of have to have that attitude. I feel like. Um, So that's how I got the crew. And then black summer, uh, John Himes, who's the creator of that show. I've known John since, uh, I mean, literally since I was 13, family friend, known him forever, just always been just enamored with how talented he is. I mean, so awesome. I mean, he he made a lot of movies before he got into TV and he kind of had another guy that he, I don't know if he went to college with him, but they just had like this, this working relationship. And I, I would always try like, Hey man, you know, whatever you need for your movie. Like I, I wanted to work with him for years and years and years and years. Um, but it just, it, it never timed out, but you know friends before work obviously and uh you know we just kind of kept in touch and as he started to get into tv he realized his working situation with his other composer was just a little bit it, it was more kind of film driven and he was like i think i'd like to try this out since tv has just such a crazy schedule i mean from the time you have to score an episode, the time you have to revise the episode or rewrite cues. I mean, it's, it's a feverish pace. Um, And he was like, I know you've been doing this for a long time. I'd love to like, you know, see if we can work on the show together. And luckily we share all the same musical sensibilities in terms of our taste and what we like. And, You know, I kind of got lucky. I started writing stuff based on what he was thinking. And he was like, oh, man, this stuff, this is amazing. This is great. And just kind of went from there. And, you know, certain things just click and they're just kind of like meant to certain people you're meant to work with. And then sometimes you get a job and you're just like literally chasing it and chasing it to almost not get fired, to just make it to the end because you, it's just crazy. You know, everybody works different and some people thrive off chaos and creating it. And then others, you have this really like deep, cool back and forth and it's really creative. So kind of got to be up for whatever hand you you draw, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, wow. for sure. Uh, and I, I must say, I saw Black Summer right when it came out and I've oh, been awesome. telling every fucking person about it because in an ocean of zombie stuff this is the best thing in years oh like man it, that's so it, awesome a big part of it is the fucking score which is so good Thank and you, i like i do it scared me it it's thrilling and i've been dying for the second season i can't wait and can you i guess talk about coming doing this score to black summer because i mean it really is horrifying (laughs)
2: Uh, I mean it's such a fun I mean it's it's kind of different than anything I've ever worked on in terms of like the John's process is so creative and so freeing where I actually start writing music for the show months before they even start shooting which I never do just because you end up just, you know, doing like twice the amount of work. But uh, with John, you know, we really talk about stuff and different themes. And I kind of develop these, you know, different thematic pieces without picture. Cause I'm so used to just working to picture and like crafting everything with that. So to have that freeing thing of like no picture, like tweaking out on different sounds and, and things and creating themes ahead of time that he happens to end up actually liking and temping each episode with is like I mean it's it's amazing because by the time they get to the edit um, you know the sound design is like a really big part of that show and it's kind of it's kind of like one with the score so I work with the sound designers you know the the score for Black Summer is not the typical kind of horror zombie score it's way more kind of like subdued atmospheric electronic soundscapey and when it needs to kind of hit you in the face it definitely does but it's just it's more of like a he takes more of a filmic approach john with with how he kind of shoots the show and and just the use of music I, i you know less is more for sure it's more effective when kind of don't notice it. Cause a lot of times there's music going for like seven minutes, but you don't even notice it. Cause it's almost like sound design in certain parts, you know?
0: Right. There is because a lot, of, I noticed that the show, cause I've watched it a couple of times through there's like, it looks like it's made to look like in one take, you know, like very <laughs> long tracking shots. So I'm curious when you're doing music for something like that, where opposed to some of the TV shows where it's like quick cut, quick cut, quick cut. Yeah do you write music in regards to, I guess, or is it a different process to write music, compose music? Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I actually, in season two, I just literally like a week ago scored the last episode of season two. And there was a scene in there that was like, I swear to God, I think it might've been the longest scene I've ever scored. It was like, they break it up into chapters, as you know. Yeah. And there was this one chapter where this guy is just literally getting... He's just fighting off, like, zombie after zombie. And uh, yeah, I think it's, like, seven or eight minutes long. It was crazy. And John really wanted, like, music. not Not music, like, melodic music throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. But he wanted this, like, heartbeat. And this thing to just, like you know, be so subconsciously hitting you and slowly speeding up and speeding up over this long period of time. So writing something like that is definitely, I mean, it's so time consuming because you, you have to go back to the beginning every time. And literally you have to listen through as one full thought, not as just the sections you're creating, you know? So it's definitely, I mean, I love it. It's fun, but I always, it's hard to to not miss things when it's that long, you know, but what I do is I'll write, you know, a full piece and I'll kind of, sometimes I'll add a little bit more than I know they'll want as far as like layers and, you know, sounds and things. And when I give it to them, a lot of times the the sound designers or the editors, they may use the stems, you know, and like, maybe they'll like mute one thing here or they'll take the drums out here and, you know, that's kind of like another lesson of being a composer that I always tell people, which is, you know, when I'm sitting in my studio and I finish a cue and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I'm so proud of this. Like it's going out the door. It's not mine anymore. Once it leaves my studio, because the showrunners, the music editors, whoever, it's like at the end of the day, they're going to do with it what they need to do with it to service the vision of the show. And that may not, coincide with my personal vision but at the end of the day you kind of got to just trust and let go of that and you know a lot of times in black summer you know they have a lot of they can do whatever they want and a lot of times sometimes they'll take the stems and they'll mute something here bring something in here that I would have never thought of that I'm like oh wow that is really cool you know so kind of got to let it ride at least at the at the end of each episode which I really like they'll play like a full thematic thing that I wrote in full you know at the end which is really nice um bookend sort of thing yeah
0: I like that and then going to the crew you know which is kind of a 180 and you know don't think I didn't hear your drum solo in that theme I know you were happy (laughs) you know cuz it's got like the rock electric guitar that i hear the badass drums coming in i'm like oh yeah, yeah. there he is <laughs> yeah yeah
2: it's a fun one
0: did you did you have like any influence from like nascar is that what they told you or did you just kind of go kind of like a rock uh theme with it
2: i mean with that theme went through a lot of different changes i mean originally when me and jeff had talked you you know the the Kevin James character, he's been in racing for like a really long time. So he, you know, Jeff wanted it to have that sort of some form of a retro feel or like a throwbacky feel. And originally I I wrote a couple demos that were real retro, like full, like horn section, like seventies, you know, theme song. And it was, it was really cool. And it was a great idea. It just didn't end up kind of manifesting the way that I think Jeff and the network wanted it to. And we slowly sort of like came around to the kind of like seventies rock ZZ top, you know, energetic energy vibe, which seems to work with NASCAR obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, that one went through a lot of changes, but, and with a show like that, cause it's a multicam where there's not a ton of music, it's mostly like transitions and a theme you really focus on the theme because the theme is going to bring the sound of the show and kind of give you all your ideas for, you know, sub themes and transitions and different things.
0: Cool. 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 Yeah. And then now I have to ask, you know, cause of, you've done some music for some pretty great shows and correct me if I'm wrong, you've done music for stuff like the Fosters. Uh, and then some of my favorites yeah. burn notice, you know, and yeah. here, and of course real time with Bill Maher, which I just, keep you know oh yeah Uh, so i mean did it was was somebody like uh the big people on burn notice or somebody like bill maher have a say in what their theme is like
2: for sure i mean well bill maher that that was a fun situation i mean they just wanted to kind of revamp Mm -hmm. the current theme uh that was there So we did a bunch of different versions and different styles and kind of ended up on that one. And I think they used it for like about a year and then they switched. I don't know if they switched back or, you know, what internally happened Mm -hmm. there, but uh, that was fun. And, you know, with the Fosters, uh, yeah, another great, fun show, you know, to uh, get to compose for.
0: That's just great just to, you know, be flipping through channels and come across like burn notice or something like that. And you're like, oh, I did the music for that. Does that ever happen? <laughs>
2: oh yeah. No, it's awesome when it's awesome when that happens. I mean, it definitely, you know, there's the stuff that I really spend my creative time composing, which is mostly, you know, scripted television and a lot of films and stuff. And then, you know, my company, gramoscope Music has created this like massive library of music that we own, you know, upwards of 50,000 pieces of music that we license to all the different networks. So when I'm flipping the channels, a lot of times there's so many like unscripted shows and different things that, you know, our music is in and, you know, it's fun to, it's fun to see it out there for sure. I mean, I don't know. I'm one of those people that, you know, when, when you're done with something you move to the next thing, you know what I mean? It's hard to, I don't know. I don't. Uh, I don't want to sound like one of those like actors that's like I never watch myself. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll I'll check stuff out for sure. But I, I definitely, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. It depends what it is. But I, I don't spend too much time.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Does one kind of get all your attention, or how do you bifurcate and split up your time?
2: Well, as far as anybody else knows that you're working for, you're only working on their show.
1: Yeah, um, clients clients sure. don't want to know that you have other girlfriends, yeah. right?
2: Yeah, right. Um, no, I mean, honestly, you, you at a certain point, you have to have help because, and I don't mean help with writing the music. I mean, help with everything else that comes with doing a show. I mean, just the administrative stuff of like, you just got sent a new cut that cut needs to be downloaded. It needs to be loaded into your session. You just had a spotting session. Are you taking notes at the spotting session or do you have a music editor that's going to take notes and then put together a whole grid of, there's just so much of that stuff that when you start to cut that stuff out and you can really focus more on writing the music, I mean, it 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 just somehow works in terms of like, you know, having those multiple shows, usually rarely is it just like they're stacked on top where you literally have the exact same deadline for this, you know, they kind of like ebb and flow and you can sort of make it happen. But I definitely start every day with, you know, depending on what my load is in terms of, you know, writing, Um, you know, I spend the first part of my day reaching out to people every single day. It doesn't matter if it's, 10 people or 50 people or like, literally I, that's I have to do it every day. You have to keep that momentum going. And then I spend the rest of the day, you know, hopefully being creative and, and writing and, you know, getting stuff done. But I, I, you know, having my company Gramascope and having people to help me, obviously not only with that, but with, you know, my scripted shows and films in terms of music editing or, you know, helping pull examples or just back and forth with, you know, once you've scored an episode, you got to make a quick time for approval. You got to send it in. You got to make stems for all your cues to get to the stage. All those cues got to go into, you know, a final Pro Tools session to give all that stuff is so, so time consuming. And if you're doing all of that by yourself, which of course, I was for many, many years. I don't know how you do multiple shows. That, that could get really intense. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things, I'm, I'm, it's interesting looking at your resume because you have The Mighty Ones on Hulu and then you have uh, The Crew on Netflix and then you have um, Black Sun. So just those three properties are so completely different that I got to wonder if you can switch between those three completely different properties, is that refreshing when you? Sorry. Oh, good. <laughs> Crockpot is telling me the dinner's done. Yeah. Um, nice. Is it? Is it help you to be able to switch between projects that are different to kind of clear your plate, or would you prefer the projects to be closer aligned to maybe help you get done with cues faster? Because maybe you could borrow, or one project would feed the other.
2: No, I mean, they're totally separate. Like there's no real borrowing or anything. It's definitely, you know, I, that's the one thing I love about being a composer. It's like, you get to do so many different things, you know, within your wheelhouse, obviously. And, you know, the people that you have relationships with, or maybe the jobs you get just by people responding to your music. It's like, they, uh, you know, it's great when especially, sorry, just to back up when it's a a friend or a relationship you have because they may be doing something totally different that they've never done and you get to write a whole different style of music. So yeah, those three shows, I I mean, I feel so fortunate to be able to make the music for all three of those shows because they are so different and they all want and do something that I feel that I'm good at and I enjoy doing musically, you know, a lot. You know, from Black Summer to The Crew to, you know, The Mighty Ones is a full like indie garage rock, you know, pavement meets, you know, John Bryan score. So it, it, it's like, it, it's super fun. Like I'm playing guitar all over that and I'm the worst guitar player ever, but it like, it works amazing, you know, because it's just sloppy. And <laughs> so it's it's fun to mix it up. I, I think it would get very, you know, stale to just do the same thing all the time.
1: But, you know, there's that, that idea of Mickey mousing where the music you do is tied so much to the actions of the character. It's actually kind of repeating what you're seeing visually, you know? But is there is there a different approach or maybe some guidelines that you had going into an animated property like this?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's a lot of music because there's just a lot of stuff happening. Luckily, with The Mighty Ones, There's a lot of music, but there's less music, I think, than in the normal uh, animated series. But I just honestly approached it the same as I approach, uh, you know, anything, you know, just in my head, at least, in terms of just trying to make something cool. And even though it's animated, it's like scoring film or or anything, but there's just, there's a lot more action That needs to be followed and hit. So sometimes, you know, when you think of a minute and a half of music, it's not that much. If you're scoring Black Summer, that goes by real quick and it's real subtle, but then you go to the Mighty Ones and a minute and a half could literally almost consist of like, you know, five different changes and styles or, you know what I mean? It can get bananas like that which is a fun challenge i i personally really enjoy that because each of those episodes you know there was like a pirate themed episode and you know i hadn't done too much uh pirate rock or you know <laughs> pirates of the caribbean stuff so it was super fun to like explore that and it's kind of all over the place
1: cool well, quick, quick follow-up to that so how, how much i mean it's you writing the music it's you're interpreting whether the script says this or the director the producer says this but do you throw in things that you like or you pulled from you know influences the reason I'm asking there's a cue in um in uh, Black Summer and when I listen to that if I feel like Willy Wonka I go the suspense is terrible I hope it'll last <laughs> but when I'm listening to a track it's uh walking into what and there's a very persistent drum or a, there's, it's not a cowbell, but it just sounds like a simple hit. And it sounds very similar to what James Horner did in an alien score when the Marines first oh. get to the um, Interesting. To the facility. And it's just this. So I'm wondering, you know, do you, when you hear something, do you go, you know, I love, I'm going to use that 20 years later. Or I'm going to use that tomorrow. What do you, what, what? I
2: definitely, I mean, I definitely have done that in this case. And I know the name of the queue and I'm trying to picture the actual cue in my head which I'm kind of at a loss for at the moment but it's funny because it kind of goes back to my thing of where like you know everything is derived from something and there are those moments where yes I'll be like oh dude that's such a cool idea but like what you just said I mean I love James Horner but I I totally don't even like I hadn't you know what I mean okay. it's it okay. just kind of I might have gotten that idea from somebody else who would listen to James Horner or you it's, it's a weird, but no, I don't know. I, 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 try to definitely take whatever direction I have. I mean, with composing, you're kind of given this box to work in and sure. with parameters of like, this is what it needs to be. I don't know guitar. It has to be this or that. And you work within that, but I always try to make it my own. And I always try to add whatever cool thing I can and different, you know, different showrunners, some are just like want you know you you hope you get hired to do your thing and bring your expertise to that, but then some showrunners are all over it and they want to you know dictate what that is, which is uh, just a different exercise and totally cool too. So, it just really depends what uh, what the project is. Mm. Well,
1: it's just it's it's amazing listening to you speak about this and just looking at your resume. It's it's like an embarrassment of riches. So uh, I'm glad that you've. Uh... <laughs> gotten to this level of
2: awesomeness i don't know (laughs) it doesn't feel that way but
0: (laughs) all right let's move on to some fun questions uh so alec what is the most curious recording you have in your collection whether it be an album a recording uh outtake what's the strangest most curious uh recording you have in your collection
2: that that I've created or listened
0: or or listen to like it could be an album that you own that's just way out weird or might be something you recorded like an outtake of you know a trumpeter just going off for missing a note I don't know
2: <laughs> oh god I don't know man that's a tough question uh god I mean definitely end up writing some stuff that maybe doesn't hit the mark here and there, <laughs> which, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of stuff, but I don't know, as far as like music collection, some like out there stuff. I mean, I don't know, like Captain Beefheart or. I love Captain know, those, Beefheart. I'm yeah. Fan. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those kind of albums, but I don't know. I, I feel like I like. In, in terms of making music, not to like veer away from your question, but I like the imperfections that sometimes happen that are maybe like screw-ups that you kind of like leave in because it just gives that human feel and that thing that you can't get out of, you know, dragons and things. I like it. Um, What is the most thrilling,
0: what is your most thrilling music experience both as a fan, which means uh, like front row at a concert, the first time you heard a certain album and then 180 that as a musician.
2: Um, Concert-wise I feel like I was just talking about this Um, I mean I've definitely had some uh, Some fun concert experiences I'm trying to think of like who I guess concert-wise In my 20s when Deadsy got to go on tour with You know all these different bands And after you were done playing You could just I mean you sit at the soundboard You could sit on stage And getting to watch, you know, Stone Temple Pilots or, you know, Lincoln Park or just bands like that. It was just so cool to be able to see, you know, just I wouldn't say peers, but, you know, these big bands so up close, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, so that and definitely I do remember this one Rage Against the Machine concert I went to that was like. I've never I've never seen a live band with that kind of energy. It was just insane. So amazing.
0: Right, and it sucked. They were touring this past year. I know, and- right? Totally. <laughs> Damn it. Um, Hopefully they come back.
2: <laughs> I, that would be amazing. And I guess the second part of your question, as far as my experience uh, on stage or concert-wise, I would have to say when we got to play Madison Square Garden, that was one of the, that was like one of the few days in my life where I'm like, you have to be in the moment. You have to be like all day. Cause I was like, this is so special. And so you know iconic in terms of the stage getting to play on that stage where so many legends have played so th- that that definitely is up there for me
0: Wait, was that the moment where you were you said to yourself like oh shit i'm good at this
2: <laughs> i don't think i've ever i don't think i've <laughs> ever done that i pretty i'm usually on the other side where i'm like oh that was fucking horrible <laughs> so am i allowed to swear
0: yeah Fuck yes.
2: Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Um, you're
0: reading right there.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: and I have to also ask, are there any particular music moments in film and cinema that have always stuck with you that you wake up and you're like, shit, that's so good. This inspires me to go create music, whether it be kind of like the flutes from ET or the from Terminator or something like that. Is sure. there any music moments from films?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a l I mean, there's so many. I mean, obviously, like in Vertigo, there's this one piece, this Bernard Herman piece that's just like it's just iconically legendary. Uh, there's, yeah, like you said the Terminator thing. Any any good theme that you, that just like sticks with you off the bat is you know coming from somewhere up above. I don't know. Is you um, a Bernard um, Herman fan? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, What
1: is your take on the movie Whiplash? Does it accurately portray the (laughs) lifestyle and work ethic of a drummer? (laughs) Yes or no?
2: I guess it could. I mean, God, it would be unfortunate to have a teacher like that. But then again, on the flip side, I guess he was a great teacher. I haven't seen that movie in a while. But yeah, wow, that was definitely intense i mean in college that's what you do you know you literally sit in a room and practice your instrument for six hours a day or you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah okay and then the follow-up if you could put a three-piece outfit together using any musician any musical instrument together um if yourself included i mean so you've got to fill two more spots could could you do it off the top of your head
2: oh if i could just pick anybody yeah god I don't know, maybe Trent Reznor and Billy Corgan.
1: Okay.
2: and Billy I'll play. Corgan. I'll play. I'll play. I'll play drums in that band. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of who would go along with that. I was like, oh man, like Tom Waits and Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I love, I love me some Smashing Pumpkins for sure.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Me too. Well. Yeah. Uh Alec, thank you so much for joining us on the Unbalanced Note here today. The spotlight is on you. Please tell everyone out there where they can find you and find your music.
2: Uh, You can find me at uh I guess ww.grammascope.com and uh Spotify as well, and I guess Instagram under my name, Alec Puro. Awesome. Um, yeah, I hope I didn't ramble on too long. No, you didn't. And in the, in the last bonus question
0: for you, yeah. why is Full House theme song the best theme song?
2: I couldn't tell you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Because my wife is on the show.
0: There we go. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much, Alex. been a pleasure.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate your guys' time. And uh, yeah, do it again.